What's an M. Night? M. Night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly. Oh my God, this dude's a big deal. He always you know puts some I mean? like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in The Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist. No. Hello and welcome to The M. Night Shift, the podcast where we review and discuss the career of filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan. I'm AJ Gonzalez, movie blogger and video store clerk, and my co-host is... I'm Brian Connolly. I also work at Vulcan Video. I'm excited. This is the first movie that I knew what it was before we watched it. Me too. The first (laughs) one I had seen before. (laughs) And I think this will be the one that most people have seen. Yes, definitely. Uh, it, the film today is The Sixth Sense from 1999, uh, Shyamalan's third film. A lot of people think that it's his first movie because they had never heard of him before and his <laughs> name was above the title. But no, it's, it's his third movie. He had a lot of help and practice on this one. I bet he um, hopes people think it's his first movie based yeah. on the two that we watched before. <laughs> Um, God, it's weird to think that it came out in 1999. Yeah. That was three decades ago. Just you know, about, count yeah. this decade. Man, that's crazy. All right. Uh, well, before we get into the movie, today we are drinking Johnny Walker Red Label Scotch Whiskey. I felt that Johnny Walker Red would be appropriate for this episode, given the, uh, given the significance of the color red in the six because of all the blood that's in it this horrific <laughs> horror movie it's good i like this. this is a good sketch it's yeah it's one of my favorites the one of the first i have had is cla- i think this is the classiest one we've had so far yeah it's uh it doesn't have a legend on it like our last scotch it just has a picture of a man a finely dressed man in a top hat <laughs> with i guess a riding crop something and I have to apologize, my allergies are killing me because it's Austin and you know, January, yes. so of course it's 80 degrees. And 80 degrees, are... cedar is thick in the air. <laughs> so I'm going to sneeze a few times, I can feel it coming. <laughs> so don't be scared. Um, all right, Scott, review, done, delicious, classy. It's, it's the darkest one, too? It looks dark. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Yes. Oh. I wish I knew how to talk about alcohol on any level because I just sound like a dummy if like, it's good. I like it. <laughs> but, you know, that's how that man versus food guy reviews the food on the show. He wants to be like, oh, it's, you know, there's like flavor. I like it. And you're like, you don't, you don't really know what to talk about food, do you? He's got better. So, uh, <laughs> supposedly he doesn't eat the food anymore because he got like ate too much like of like giant things. And now he... Uh, has other people do the competition in the episode? He just kind of stands by the sidelines cheering them on. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, <laughs> sounds less exciting. <laughs> I think like five years of eating like you know of twenty course. pound steaks and stuff. It just yeah that takes its toll. Of course, watching a man eat food is wasn't really exciting to begin <laughs> with. No matter what size the food. <laughs> Anyways, how do we end up talking about this? Uh, six cents. Yeah. So let's talk about. So you're. I'm jealous. Because I made this foolish mistake of taking home the super special edition, which I thought was going to be like the most complete, best way to watch The Sixth Sense. But I was wrong because you took home the regular home video release from like probably the first one it came Probably out, from, from like, 2000, 2000. 2001. 
And uh, it sounds like, yeah, in 2000, movies still took a little while to get out on Yeah, they still had, like, like a, a strict six-month window, I feel like. So, but yours had trailers on it, and mine did not have trailers on it. So, tell, let's yeah. tell the world about these great the trailers. That you so, have. 1999, let's go back. Uh, in addition to The Sixth Sense, you were, which I will slur and mispronounce for the whole episode. <laughs> the Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. Because my tongue step. just gets fat in the middle of saying <laughs> only those two words. <laughs> it's the T, it's the TH, it throws you off. Yeah. Uh, the first trailer, now in theaters, little movie called Mission to Mars. Uh, which was not a hit. No. And not a good movie. No, it is not. There's a lot movie. of De Palma apologists who like the movie. They're wrong. That movie is crap. Uh, it's <laughs> not. It's it, Yeah, it's another. There was a time when movies on Mars were a thing. Uh, there was the Red Planet Red with Planet. Val Kilmer. And then John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. Oh, that's my that's my personal favorite of the three terrible Mars movies. Like none of them are good, but if I had to pick one, Mission to Mars, because I believe Buckethead's on the soundtrack. Is that right? Or somebody that sounds like Buckethead? Is it? It's not Slayer. I am it's not some sure. speed metal band. Uh, and you have Pam Grier on Mars. You know, like Statham. When you watch that movie now, you're like, this is weird. It's Jason Statham's in this crappy movie. But that's a different Mars movie. Yeah, Mars movie. <laughs> Mission to Mars was the terrible De Palma CG filled. Uh, a lot of good product placement. I believe they saved their ship with like Dr Pepper and Skittles or something. Uh, like that. Yeah, like the big revelation, I believe, comes from uh, Skittles or M and M's floating in the air, and then that makes one character realize, like, oh, life began <laughs> on Mars, which it. <laughs> I, I don't agree with that theory, but that's for an <laughs> entirely different podcast. <laughs> the second trailer, a little film we all remember, of course, called The 13th Warrior, uh, Antonio ba- Banderas. Based on the Michael Crichton novel, Eaters of the Dead, which yes. I read in middle school. It's very short. It's like a 100-page novella, I guess you'd call it. But interesting fact about the trailer, AJ, how does the trailer begin? <laughs> the trailer begins... With uh, the legend of Antonio Banderas' character, and all of this is uh, underscored by, uh, like, (laughs) mid-90s Gregorian chant remix. It's an enigma. It's the enigma Enigma. song. Yeah. Yeah, which has nothing to do with, it's not in the movie. (laughs) It doesn't help you understand the setting of the movie, the characters. There are no monks in this film. The main character is a Muslim. (laughs) He's so sexy. So it's like, you know. What's what's weird is, so like that DVD came out in probably 2000. So by that point, that kind of music was already completely out of like date and, we had already and gotten like, we had gotten over even, blue like not even soft porn was using that kind of soft porn music <laughs> anymore so whoever whatever you know like person decided like hey let's put you know you remember that cool song from six years ago about the monks and it was kind of sexy like i think we used it in a sliver soundtrack <laughs> let's put that oh, on the God. trailer about these people you know in ancient times fighting these cannibals you know like these knights fighting cannibals Okay. <laughs> uh, next trailer was for, yes, we've all seen From Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter. I have not seen and that one. No, I, you stop after one. And if you're smart, you stop halfway through one. 
but beware of any I found beware of any movie in which the trailer consists of clips from the first film or from the original film starts out with clips from from dust till dawn with george clooney and quentin tarantino and harvey keitel like hey remember that movie <laughs> well this is not really like that at all uh it is a western it takes place in the old west oh but, so it's a uh, prequel yeah <clears throat> about prequel. what like what is about like where the vampires came from or? uh not really it seems to be that this guy's supposed to be hung um, he gets away with the hangman's daughter, and they end up at uh, the bar with all the vampires. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that Robert Rodriguez wrote part three. Okay. Is that true? Do I don't know. That? I think like, he wrote it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I fell off with following the career of Robert Rodriguez. Uh, other trailers were In Too Deep, which I don't remember What is it? Well. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Uh, that's with LL Cool J... Um, is he like, a cop and he yeah, goes like cops. to undercover and he goes into someone deep. else goes to undercover and I can't remember the name of uh, the actor that does go into deep. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't remember, <laughs> and I'm not gonna guess because that's a da- it's dangerous ground. <laughs> guessing the names of black actors you're not sure about. Huh, uh, and the final trailer was for. Uh, Summer of Sam. I like that movie. I really like that movie. It's one of my favorite Spike Lee I think films. it might be my favorite Spike Lee movie other than like, the classic. Like Spike Lee. Yeah. Non-classic Spike Lee is the best one. It has my the favorite. Movie. The ending is really good. Like, the the ending is so great. In that movie. And it's just weird. The ending is great. It's a weird film. It has this sequence. Like it has sequences. Like just musical montages set to uh, like... It's not Teenage Wasteland, uh, Baba O'Reilly, where the whole thing is like half montage and half Adrian Brody's like fantasy dream experience. Yeah, and he's a punk in it. It's good. Yeah, I like I like that movie. It's, it's, it's mostly not about Son of Sam. No, it's just about the summer. Of the Sam summer of Sam. How this uh, the people in this one neighborhood are so like insulated, even though they're in like Brooklyn, New York, you know, like the big metropolitan city of the world. They're very like closed off and small-minded to just think that well the son of sam has to be from our neighborhood because that's all that they that's all that they see is just those few square blocks of their area mm-hmm. of brooklyn but uh enough about some of summer of sam but, yes that movie does have a talking dog in it yes oh <laughs> a talking dog voiced by john taturo oh really yes <laughs> Well, if you have a dog tell you to kill people, you might as well have it be Yes, that scene, yes, Spike Lee, John Turturro has to show up at some point. That's when the dog talks. (laughs) That is an amazing, great scene. That's a great turn. Okay, so the actual movie, (laughs) The Sixth Sense. So when was the last time you watched The Sixth Sense? Probably the year 2000. Really? I, I think I saw it twice in theaters, and then I probably watched it again on home video. Probably on VHS, because I didn't get a DVD player <clears throat> until, like, 2002. Uh, yeah, I think I remember the same. I don't even think I saw the DVD. I think I saw it in the theater. I saw it in the theater, and I don't even remember why I saw it in the theater. I don't. I think it was even before the hype of the twist. I think it was just like, oh, here's, I like Bruce Willis. Is it like I remember people saying it's great or whatever the first week. I watched it, being blo- I was blown away by the twist ending. I didn't, I didn't see it. I totally didn't see it coming. I did not see it coming uh, because it came out in 
Was it summer? Was it a summer? It was movie? August sixth, nineteen ninety nine, which was, uh, as I learned from the special features, M Night Shyamalan's birthday. Oh, happy birthday! Yeah, little M Night. And this was also before Fight Club was, because that was October, I think, when Fight Club came out, right? I think so. And so, like, we didn't know it was the year of the twist. We didn't know 99 was going to just twist. So we weren't expecting a twist. Like, there wasn't a huge Hollywood twist uh, since, like, Crying Game. You know, but oh, yeah. it's like probably the big, first big twist. So it's like, yeah, Crying Game it. was, like, 92, 91, 92. Early, early 90s. And so, like, the 90s started with a twist that everyone talked about or couldn't talk about because they didn't want to ruin it. Uh, except for who ruined it? Gene Siskel, Roger Ebert. One of them ruined another show. Uh, I think and the other one got mad at him. I um, think I think Gene Siskel ruined it. Ebert's like, "What are you doing?" Yes, because right. then there was another movie <laughs> that was Manhattan Murder Mystery where Ebert accidentally gave away the ending of that. And, and they call it Square. Yeah, Siskel was like, "Oh, and after you got on me about spoiling a crying game six months after it was out." So, crying game, huge movie that I think a lot of people saw because they heard there was this crazy twist. It's also a great movie on top of it. Like I truly love Neil Jordan. I truly too. love that movie. I truly love the Crying Game. I think it's one of the best screenplays ever. Even if there wasn't a twist, I think that movie's great. And so I think late nineties people were ready, ready for a twist again. Like it'd been a while. It got thrown in the face of everybody, and everyone loved it and was freaked out. I remember when I saw it, I got really excited. I was watching. I was like, because you think the movie's over uh, at the end yeah. when Haley Joe Osment is uh, <clears throat> talking to his mom. And then and then it keeps going and then there's a twist and then I remember my I got this and I very rarely feel this during a movie where I actually got goosebumps like I really did get goosebumps being like oh shit oh my god oh my god and then I ran I that, that night I ran I was living with a couple at the time and I ran to the apartment I lived with them at and I was like we have to see this movie we have to see this movie today tonight like we got to go again like you will not believe this movie and I was freaking out and I think I saw it twice I think I saw it this first for the first time twice in one day I Whoa. think I think I saw it in the afternoon. Uh, because I was 19 and I have shit to do. And then uh, that evening, I was like, we got to go, we got to go. And so I was like waiting, the whole movie, like waiting for the twist to see like what, like they would, how they'd react to it. Yeah, how did you react to the twist? I remember being, uh, I, I didn't see it coming. I was shocked and surprised and satisfied and had the superficial feeling of like, <clears throat> oh, cool. Like it all <laughs> checks out. And then uh, afterwards, I was still happy and satisfied with it. It wasn't like uh, the usual suspects where the... Uh, oh, that was the other twist. Okay, so that was the bridge yeah, between Crying Game I, and... Uh, I like the usual suspects. Yeah, so another twist where we're all like, oh my god! Yeah, like It, it was only, all on a bulletin board! It only works once, and it wears thin with the usual suspects. I like that film, but on repeat viewings... I like that movie no less and less. Lot. Yeah. Well, because in that movie, there's no stakes when you watch it again because you realize that it's all made up. Yeah. It's all... Oh, by the way, uh, this podcast contains spoilers. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, we, uh, we should mention that at the top of the show. Uh, uh, it contains spoilers for The Sixth Sense, which you all already know. And the spoilers for uh, Summer of Sam, Crying Game. Rosebud, Rosebud was a sled. Janet yeah. Lee gets killed in the first 40 minutes of Psycho. I'll just ruin those for you. I'll yeah. keep, I'll, uh, I won't tell you who killed Laura Palmer. That one, you can find that one out on your own. <laughs> so that was spoiled for me once on IMDb. Uh, it was spoiled for me. Uh, or no, wait. No, I'm wrong. I was, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I'll share it. Uh, when I first got the internet when I was 13, I was like, I'm going to find porn on the internet. And I don't remember <laughs> what I typed in, but it was a fake website that when you click on it, 
it just pulled up the spoilers for every movie ever made up until 1993 <laughs> as a way to be like, fuck you pervert. And so it was just like, so in the top one was like, who killed Laura Palmer? And I was in the middle of watching it at the time. And so that just like kickstarted my Catholic guilt, like real bad. And I was just like, I shouldn't have looked up porn. This is what I get. I got punished for it. Anyways, uh, well, I think we should probably go into what the sixth sense is about before we talk any further. Uh, I feel we just take for granted that everybody's seen this, but, uh, who did, who did it last time? Was it you? Uh, I did the synopsis. All right, I'll do this time. And the twist. I'll do it really easy and ruin the uh, twist for you. Okay. I will go grab my notes, which I <coughs> forgot to bring with me because I'm such a good <laughs> All right, so The Sixth Sense. Uh, it begins uh, with Bruce Willis as Dr. Malcolm, who is a child psychologist, child therapist. And uh, he's he's just won his award. And you're hanging out in his house with him and his beautiful wife, played by teacher from Rushmore. What's Olivia the name? Williams. Olivia Williams doing a pretty good American accent. Yeah. I gotta say, not bad. Because she kind of slips in a few vowels or something like that. But So he's got this great award, and you're hanging out having wine, and just talking about like pretty much exposition of like who he is, just so we know who he is. Like about like you're great because he did this, and this is who you are. But then there's like they're about to like have sex and like have a good drunk time. And then one of the new kids from the block, new kids on the block shows up, <laughs> very skinny, a very uh, emaciated Danny uh, Wahlberg, and he's he's he's, he's really uh, he takes all his clothes off, and he is it turns out he's an ex child patient of uh, <clears throat> Bruce Willis who feels he got let down and left behind. He shoots Bruce Willis in the stomach and then shoots himself in the head. Cut to credits, and you're like, what? What happened? What's going on? And then we cut to, a, I think it was like a year, the, a, next, the next season, the next, next fall, fall, South Philadelphia. South Philadelphia, and this is the first like real Philadelphia's uh, Shyamalan. You really get a feel for the neighborhoods, like the look, like the way the stone buildings, the look. city streets, the city streets, like those tall buildings with the main stone, like the trees. Uh, he tends, I feel he tends to make his movies in f- autumn or, or winter. They kind of trees look a little spare. It never feels like sunny and cheery. You know, yeah. it's like, it always feels like it's cold outside, but maybe Philadelphia is just cold all the time. I don't know. Um, there's cer- certainly an emotionally cold city. <laughs> the city brotherly love. I don't think so. People in that town are grumpy, uh, at least to foreigners like myself. So, uh, so then we kind of next fall, uh, Dr. Malcolm is kind of watching and studying this kid named Cole, played by Haley Joe Osment, and it's like he's already mid-case with him. He's already got notes about him, and just sort of like he's following him, kind of studying him, being like, this kid is sort of a shut-in, he's got emotional problems, uh, you know, he's like, he's not doing well in life, and uh, he's the child uh, psychologist kind of following up on this. And then we get into a whole <clears throat> thing of him interacting with the kid, and the, basically you find out that the kid... The reason why he's so upset all the time is because he sees dead people. The famous line, I see dead people. Yeah. Right? That's the line? Yeah. And then, uh, and then it's Bruce Willis kind of getting convinced that this kid sees dead people. And uh, for a while you think it's like a scary movie. You think like these are there's bad ghosts around. Things are happening. Uh, this is a horror film. But then you find out that... Well, and Bruce Willis kind of has this epiphany of like, you know what? I think you should listen to what these ghosts are saying. I think they just want help. And so then the little kid does. He starts helping the ghosts. Uh, the the main one that you see is he helps this kid who died, who ended up being poisoned uh, by her mother. We'll go Munch into more of that proxy. later. We'll go into that a little later. And then uh, he the kid. Then he goes. Then then the ghosts don't seem so bad. And then I feel. 
they do they I, I couldn't tell but do they leave him alone once he's helped them like do the ghosts kind of like thanks goodbye like if he helps little dude who shot himself in the head yeah, in his apartment. They, is that kid going to go away forever? Like, is he going to stop haunting him? It's uh, uh, it's not directly stated by but I feel like it's implied that the ghosts then go away. They can pass yeah. on fully to the spirit. The heaven world. or hell or whatever the heck they come from. Uh, mostly <laughs> heaven in this case. Uh, and <clears throat> so then the kid, uh, the, the whole movie, he's got a mom played by Tony Klett, who I think is the best actor in the movie other than oh, Haley Joe Osment. She's really good. Definitely. And uh, she plays his mom, who's always upset as to why is my son so weird? Why is he so sad? Or not even sad, like, why is he so troubled all the time? The trouble's so upset, and he won't tell her. She thinks yeah. he won't tell her and what's it's, wrong. It causes stress uh, in their family, uh, which because it's just the two of them. The dad is gone. Not, they didn't die, I believe, a divorce. Well. Yeah, divorced and out uh, of communication, out of contact. With and him. so then the kid finally opens up to his mom, saying, I see dead people. In fact, I see grandma. She loves you. The mom's like, oh, my God, I love you guys. This is great. Life is good. And you think the movie's over, but wait. This is the big Shyamalan twist. <clears throat> then we cut to Bruce Willis hanging out with his wife. He's talking to her while she's sleeping. Then you see her breath. And you're like, wait a minute. Why are you seeing her breath? Well, in the movie, people's breath can be seen because it gets really cold and ghosts are around. You're like, what's going on here? And then she drops something and he looks at it and it's his wedding ring. And he looks at his hand. He's like, where's my wedding ring? Turns out he's a ghost. He's been, he's one of the ghosts. He is the main dead ghost of the, the movie. He's been dead time. the whole time. And he's one of the dead people that Haley Joe Osment sees. And then he might have talks to his wife and tells him that she loves him. And that was sort of like the main hurdle he had to go through, I guess. I didn't really understand what that hurdle was. Like, he just had to admit that he liked his wife and she still liked him. He, and he's moving on. Like his final words accepted, to her so. are like, yeah, that he needed to tell her that she was never second in his life to his work, which his is work. how she felt. At the beginning. At the movie. beginning. Okay. She says she's glad that he got this award, something to show for all of uh, like all of the time that he put in with his work and not with her. Yeah. So for all the other ghosts that had to work through stuff, they tend to have to go through pretty violent deaths. Whereas his was just like, I just wanted my wife to know that I liked her more than my work. It's like, oh, okay, that was your hurdle? Weird. And then that's the movie. That's the end of the movie. That's The Sixth Sense. It was a, the movie was a huge hit. Ended up being one of the ten highest grossing movies of all time. I don't know if it still is. I would imagine not. I would imagine in the seventeen years we've had Avatar, Probably not with Pirates of the Caribbean, and things that have bumped you know, it. With the inflated, the down. blown up costs of three D <clears throat> movies that people are obligated to see because I like science fiction, so I need to see everything, even though it's bad. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and that's it. Like that was this phenomenon, <laughs> and it made Shyamalan. Uh, an Oscar nominated. Did he win the Oscar for screenplay? No. He just got nominated. He, uh, what did he lose he was to? Uh, Nineteen ninety-nine original screenplay. American Beauty he lost to Alan Ball. American, American and lost Beauty. director to, to Sam Mendes and picture Mendes, yes. American Beauty. Nineteen ninety-nine was the year of American Beauty. That took, yeah. Uh, well, took him five Oscars. Uh, the Sixth Sense was nominated for six Academy Awards, mm-hmm. including Best Picture, mm-hmm. Best Director for Shyamalan, mm-hmm. Best Original Screenplay for Shyamalan. Uh, best Supporting Actress for Tony Collette, which mm. she totally... I don't remember who won Supporting Actress that year, Did win but Tony Collette definitely year. deserved to be uh, among that crew. Uh, Haley Joel Osment, Best Supporting Actor. Was he supporting or actor? He was supporting actor. Cause he, you think he would be actor? 
Like the movie's about the him movie and, is I mean, about him and him. Bruce was equally, I feel. Yeah, they are both like the equal main characters and stars. But mm-hmm. like kids, even if they're the lead, kids always get thrown into the supporting actor category at the Oscars for whatever, you know, stretch strategic. Wasn't the, the uh, Beast of the Southern Wild though ladies best actress? Or I she's just think she was supporting. She's the star she's of the, the movie. Star of that movie. Like Whale Rider. I don't know. I don't know if she I think she was nominated. Best Actress. I don't know. Anyway, um, and for the sixth nomination was for editing. Best which editing, is really good. Which means that this film was a serious contender for Best Picture. Like, yeah. that, that's how you can tell. It has a director nomination and it has an editing nomination. And everyone loved it. It was a movie that everybody loved. Loved Everyone freaked out over it. Yeah. It, made this Shyamalan, it made Shyamalan a household name, which is rare for filmmakers. Usually people to know the names of directors, like regular people, like we do, we work in a video store, but like most people's grandparents don't know, yeah. except for like Alfred Hitchcock, like John Carpenter, like the names above the title. And this made instantly, not instantly because it's his third movie, but like instantly after this movie, Shyamalan became a household name of like, oh, M. Night Shyamalan, the twisty guy. Yeah, the guy does twist. Success. Yes, yes, yes. And then it kind of was a blessing and a curse as we go forward in this podcast. Um, for Shyamalan, yeah. The, uh, so the 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 main thing, a note like watching this in the context of Shyamalan's filmography. Now that we're kind of watching it as the third movie, but miles ahead of the other two in terms of production and look and like, yeah, ev- like it really definitely. is like this is a real movie. Like this is a movie with a budget, like a real budget. You have like an actual. Soundtrack that's great by uh, James Newton Howard. Yes, you have one of my favorite composers. His score is amazing. What else has he done? He, well, in addition to Shyamalan's films, Unbreakable, and I believe Signs as well, he uh, did music for half of the music for Batman Begins. Why only half? Because Hans Zimmer did the other half. I don't know why, but like the first half of the film is James Newton Howard, Mm -hmm. and then once he becomes Batman. And the score gets very drum heavy. That is uh, Hans Zimmer. Oh, Tony Collette lost to Angelina Jolie for Girl Interrupted. Boo! Not fair. <laughs> Disagree. Everyone is because at the time Angelina Jolie was the it girl. Angelina Jolie was like, oh, it's the sexy, crazy lady in this yeah. movie. Let's give her an Oscar. God, I forgot she's an Oscar winner. Angelina yeah. Jolie's Oscar winner? Man, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, music by James Newton Howard, shot by Tak Fujimoto. He's great. He's is, really good. His work yeah. in this film is great. From the very beginning of the film, you know you're watching like a serious, incredibly well made, well thought out film. From that opening sequence when um, after Donnie Wahlberg shoots uh, Crow, Malcolm Crow, and then shoots himself when he puts the gun to his head, the camera glides Yeah, away. like that's good. That's yeah. an amazing movie. There's a lot of good shots. I mean, this is definitely the most, like this is the first Shyamalan movie where there's actually composed shots that feel that are like memorable. Yes, memorable. It feels they, like a really actually thought out, like storyboarded like movie. They really help the, they help the scene. They in, inform how you see the scene. It's not just someone trying to show off what they can do or someone <clears throat> trying to, you know, keep your attention like Oliver Stone in the early 90s. <laughs> oh, I like Oliver Stone in the early 90s. <laughs> I like it too, but it's... He did a lot of drugs. It's I fine. feel like that's... 
you know, he's doing that intentionally, like, <laughs> oh, like MTV generation, they need everything, like, fast and quick. Uh, the shot that always stuck with me that I remembered from the beginning, uh, when I first saw it, not from the beginning of the movie, but from when I first saw the movie, is the spiral staircase, like, when he goes at the birthday party scene. Oh, yeah, and the red balloon. And you have the shot up. of the staircase and the spiral. Yeah, that, that shot always stuck with me. And there's a lot of just good long shots and kind of, like, good sort of camera following people around. Uh, very smoothly. Yes. And uh, just to uh, back up Tak Fujimoto's resume, he has uh, shot Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia, Married to the Mob, Something Wild, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Badlands. All very In addition good to movies. several other films. And he's a, he's a good cinematographer. Uh, and the performances are great, as you said. Like, Haley Joe Osment's amazing. Yeah. Like, when you think about how he's a little kid, and you compare him to every other little kid actor that's ever existed, he's maybe one of the best. Like, yes. maybe the best. Oh, like the most the definitely, way, yes. Like, you don't... Because usually kid actors draw attention to themselves in a way of, like, well, he's not a real actor. He's 10. You know, so he doesn't have the he's same He's not a real box, actor. He the same skills. You can tell, or you just think, that's, like, oh, like, the director, like, tricked them into giving a good performance. Yeah. Or, like... Oh, that kid's acceptable. Like, or that's editing, acceptable. they made an editing and made it seem really great. But no, he is like, he's so good. And like, you really just get into his character right away. Uh, especially the, the scene that I like the most is the one where the, uh, Dr. Malcolm's telling him the questions and he takes a step back every time he gets a question wrong and a step forward every time he gets a question right. That, that scene is great. Another but, great, uh, like, great, greatly shot scene and staged and well-written scene. But yeah, his performance in that is is great. Like it really goes through many types of emotions that most adult actors can't do well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cry. He's clearly able to cry. You know, on, you know, like at a, at a snap, and he's able to go through and be a real actor. And watching this film now, I can really appreciate his performance. Like when I saw it in theaters, I didn't really think about it too much but watching it now i'm like he's doing a really good job at portraying a, like a troubled kid a mysteriously troubled kid and you could believe like that this kid doesn't see ghosts he's just like bothered and disturbed uh he does a good jo- he does a very good job playing a very sad kid <laughs> And, uh, and it works in with the last uh, Shyamalan movie of it's a child kind of being more grown up than the children actually are. Yeah. Like, uh, much more successful in this movie. Like, in the other, in Wide Awake, it felt like, oh, they mistakenly wrote these kids a little more grown up than they should be. Whereas in this one, it's just like, oh, this is just a weird, mature little dude. You know, and uh, it, it works. Like, it really, it feels like you can see, like, oh, he's like an intelligent, troubled kid. And that's why he... And it, it, it does a great balance of, like, you can tell he's really smart and he's dealing with these grown-up things, but then he's shocked when Bruce Willis says shit. And he says, you said the S word. And there's, like, kind of that still that little kid thing going on. But it doesn't feel weird like it's poor right. It just feels, like, real. Like, he's still a kid, but he's dealing with, like, you know, he's seen ghosts of women who slash their wrists and stuff. So he's going through an intense, uh, you know, his life is intense. And also this is a pretty uh, mellow Bruce Willis. Like, this is probably one of the most mellow sort of downplayed performances he's ever done. He's almost whispering a lot of the time. Yeah, it's he's like not calling spoken. He's not calling attention to himself. Yeah, Bruce Willis is very subdued in this film, which is what it what it needed. 
So, yeah. and I don't know if that's Shyamalan or Bruce Willis. Um, Bruce Willis seems like uh, like a weird guy. Uh, <laughs> like having heard stories about him, I'm about to read The Devil's Candy, which is a book about the making of the bonfire of the vanities, which has a lot of uh, funny and odd Bruce Willis stories in it, I've mm. heard. So I'm looking forward to that. That's a good Brian De Palma movie. I like that movie. <laughs> I... Would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, oh, and another actor we forgot about, a Mr. M. Night Shyamalan appears again as a doctor portraying the profession that uh, his uh, dad is. His is Both of his parents are doctors. Both of his parents are doctors. So yeah. he's doing a doctor. It's a, just a little scene. It's basically him concerned that uh, little Cole's got bruises on his body and he's kind of insinuating that the mom is like, abusing the kid or something is yeah. going on. And the mom does not like it, and Gus Bruce Willis is, like, perturbed by it. Um, <clears throat> and who else? There's another famous person. There's a famous lady in it who's younger. I saw in the end credits. Well, who was it? It's like somebody from the OC or something like that. Oh, Misha Barton. Who? I don't know who that is. Like, I know the name. Is she in OC? Was she, she was on the OC. So yes. who's she in the movie? She like she's a, the little, she's the sick girl. Oh, okay. See, I, yes. couldn't, I couldn't call her out of a crowd. If she showed up right now... I would still not know that that was Misha Barton. Yeah, Misha Barton. Um, Where is Misha Barton? Uh, she she did the uh, child actor thing of like going back to college and getting like a real degree, and then doing like some serious films. Like she did a film I think with Christopher Plummer called Closing the Ring, which I have never seen. I've never even heard of that movie. Yeah, I think before Sixth Sense or maybe after it, she did a film called Pups. <laughs> which is essentially a remake of Dog Day Afternoon, but with 12-year-old kids. That sounds great! Uh, Burt Reynolds is Whoa, also in that movie. This sounds even better. Wait, is it a kid's movie? No, it is oh. not a kid's movie. Uh, What's a bunch of kids holding up a bank and one of them's getting a sex change? Not that. <laughs> they changed that part. But <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, Misha kid. Barton and her little 12-year-old boyfriend uh, hold up a bank, and it turns into this big hostage situation. And uh, Burt Reynolds is the cop <laughs> on the outside. Oh, that sounds good. I gotta watch that. That sounds. Like, I don't think we have that at work, do we? I've never <laughs> even heard of that damn movie. I have not Pups. thought of it until just now. <clears throat> it's one of those movies you see late night <laughs> in HBO by accident. <laughs> so let's see. What do we? Do you think the reason why we haven't seen this movie since it came out is because of the twist? Do you think like can you watch this movie more than a few times, or is it kind of like? Once you know the twist, is it still a good movie? Like, is it still interesting? I think it is still interesting. It's still a good film. But why do you think we haven't like come back to it in like seventeen years? Oh, maybe just because there's um, been so much else out there, man. <laughs> but you've rewatched <laughs> other movies in the last like I'm guaranteed you've watched other things in the last seventeen. Yes, years. I've no, and yeah. I've rewatched like. Unbreakable in Signs are films that I've watched like five years after they came out just because I felt like it. Because that's the curse of a movie with a twist such as a uh, Usual Suspects is a lot of it, once you've done the twist, like if the whole movie is laying on the twist, then you can really only watch it a few times. You can watch it once and you can watch it again just to try to figure out how they do it and try to see holes in it you know, and, the, mm-hmm. and their stuff. And then you're kind of done. Like it's hard to, unless the movie's really, really good. Like The Crying Game to me is great even without the twist like i just love that movie whereas usual suspects i I, after the twist and after maybe a few times of being like oh cool a twist then it's over like you can't really watch it again in the same and definitely never in the same way again you can only watch it 
Maybe you're thinking about a twist movie, you can only watch it once that one way of not knowing about it. And then once you know it, it's, you've, it's changed the way you viewed it the second on uptime. Yeah, the second time, you're probably watching for clues or violations of the rules or something. Mm-hmm. But, and there aren't any in this movie. I, really, no. I went through, like, really, like, this time I was really like, okay, I'm, now that I know, let's see, is there is there a point? There is, I, I swear... There's the one scene where he's with Tony Collette the first time where he's sitting we're sitting in chairs across from each other. She leaves the room after he comes home from school after cooking and she does a I swear she looks at Bruce Willis for like half a second. It's <laughs> like a moment where her eyes kinda like glance at him for a second and then like maybe she was just checking that if the chair was clean or something, but it's I, I, I played it back a few times and it seems like she might have for a moment accidentally noticed Bruce Willis. I didn't catch that, but uh... <laughs> It's not outside the plausibility, <laughs> I suppose. But I feel like if this film, if it ended after Haley Jalosman figures out he needs to help ghosts and that he's at a happy place in his life, if it ended right there, I feel like this would still be a very good, satisfying film. And the twist with Bruce Willis is just like icing on the cake. Do you think it would still be memorable though? If it didn't have, if it didn't have the ending, would it have been nominated for the Oscars? Would it have made all that money? Like, it definitely would have made all that money. I feel like the reason why I did so well is because the word of mouth around every water cooler and every building was like, you have to see this movie, the ending, the ending. Like I'm sure everyone mostly, I, everyone was mostly to me like the ending, the ending, the ending. And I feel like that really gave it its mileage. And I think if it didn't have the ending, I don't think it would be, a, it would have been nominated for Oscars. I think it would have been like, a good genre movie that would have been like, yeah, that movie was good. And the acting was really good. And it would have been like a well-received movie, like critically still, I think it would have not get any, it would have not gotten any less of a star from the reviewers. I think Leonard Maltin still would have given it three and a half stars because it's a really good movie. But I think that twist is what pushed it into being the big thing that it was. And watching it again, it's, I was way, I was expecting to not, like it as much because of knowing the twist. But I really liked it. I was like, this is a good movie. Like, this is a well-made, well-acted uh, movie. It's, uh, yeah, it it totally is all around. And what I noticed this time is that, uh, I mean, this is ostensibly a horror film. Mm-hmm. Like, we have it in the horror section at the video store. People went to go see it to be scared and shocked Though there aren't many, like, all-out scares in this film. Yeah. And though the this isn't one of those movies that tried to hide its premise. Like, you know right away, you know from the trailers that this kid sees dead people, and Bruce Willis is going to try and do something about mm-hmm. it. But the film starts off like, this really could just be about a psychiatrist with marital problems helping this troubled little kid that doesn't really know what he what his problems are and there's a few spooky scenes um like the tony collette leaves the kitchen and then she comes back and all the cabinets and doors are open and there's maybe one or two other spooky scenes the kid puking always got me that was always like oh but that was towards that was towards (laughs) the end it's not until Haley joel osmond tells bruce willis i see dead people that this film the film itself becomes a horror film and starts acting like a horror film and after that moment then we see 
what Haley Joel Osment sees. We see the ghosts. The part where he gets locked in that closet of the scary is really terrifying. That when that yeah. part is still scary because like that might not be a good ghost. Like he might need some help, but that seems like there's why is that ghost locked in that closet? <laughs> and he's whispering, which is who's like, Let me out and you're just like, oh my god, that was and then still scary there, when I saw and that, it. And it's like he's covered in bruises and cuts after that, and that part is terrifying. Just being in a club, I guess is that a dumb waiter? Like, what is that um, little door? Like, it's, it's like, like a, a little room. Closet. It's just like a little closet at the end of the staircase. That part is terrifying. I do not like that part. Being locked in a tiny closet with a ghost seems like not a cool time. That was uh, that's a it's <laughs> a very good skit for me. That was like the scariest scene. Like when Misha Barton pops out, uh, puking is when the whole theater that I saw this with like jumped up and scared. Like it was yeah. something actually scary and not just the, this sick little girl being sick. Yeah. yeah. Cause he's under a sheet too. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why do you think 1999 was like this twist, twist ending here? Cause he did not, you had this, you had fight club and you also had the matrix, which isn't a twist at the ending, but like in the middle you get the, the twist of like, this is not the reality. You know, there's this other thing. Why, why was the end of the millennium the time for everyone to be like, I felt like it was like every two months you see a movie and you'd be like, oh my God, Tyler Durden is this. And then like, he just kept, like, he just kept being these like surprise endings. And then that kickstarted a whole obnoxious trend went down to like that terrible movie identity. Oh you God. Movie? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll spoil the ending for that one. Uh, Spoiler so alert, it sucks. <laughs> so that movie is you're in a hotel and there's this mystery and there's all these people finding keys and it's like it's like playing the game Mist in a way. <laughs> so then you're like, where, what's, where are we going to go? What are we doing? And then it ends up that it's all in the mind of a serial killer. It basically is the movie that Donald Kaufman's writing and adaptation. And the movie's just in the you're just in the brain of a serial killer as he's like on death row or whatever. The end. In in college, <laughs> the screenplay I was working on for my class was about someone with multiple personality disorder. And in my research, I read about this scenario <clears throat> that uh, can be attempted, but like, oh, it's, you know, dangerous and experimental, uh, where you gather all the personalities together and then, like, whittle them away until there's just one left, and then that can be the person. And I read that, and it's like, mm, you know what? I'm not going to do that for my movie. I, I don't <laughs> think that's a good path to choose. Yeah. But maybe it was just, like... Is 1999 the end of the century, the end of the millennium? Uh, people were ready to like, and everyone thought the world was going to end, or all the computers were going to turn off, and like we were going to have to go back to and all wearing like suspenders and newsboy caps. <laughs> <laughs> and people were like just ready for something to like for the rug to be pulled out from under them. I think too, like we the 90s people got really self-aware especially uh, definitely about genre conventions like you had this is post tarantino this is post scream so everyone is smarter than everyone else when you watch it. everyone's a really smart moviegoer now so everyone's like oh i know that trope and i know that thing because it's all started to be pointed out like that was such a thing in movies in the mid 90s was like let's point out how these movies work let's see how a slasher movie works this is how this kind of movie works and then we all were so much smarter because we're like, oh, now we know that that's a silly scene in the movie. And that's a hokey scene. And that's how that usually works. When someone says this thing, this happens in the movie. And so we all got such, we all became such smart moviegoers. And so I think it needed, we were all getting pretty jaded, maybe. When, like, the big movies were getting terrible and terrible. You get Speed 2, you get the Roland Emmerich Godzilla. Like, movies oh, were just God. getting in the dumpster. 
And so I think it needed that kind of electric shock of like, how about a twist ending? Like you were not going to see that. You can guess how a horror movie will go to a certain point, but not if I throw the zinger at you at the end. And I, that, that's my guess as to why it became a thing is because we all became, because we all became Tarantino. We all were, now we know who John Woo is. And now we know how the slasher formula movie works. So we're so smart. Like we're great. Anyone can make a movie. Anyone can figure this, this formula out. Then we need this, like the rug to be pulled out from under us. Uh, and then that became predictable after a while. I was like, oh, is there a twist in this movie? And <laughs> then that became old hat. Um, <clears throat> uh, so Shyamalan himself seems like he was probably uh, self-aware of uh, genre conventions and storytelling conventions. The big scene where the kid tells Malcolm, like, I see dead people, it starts out with Bruce Willis trying to tell the kid a story to mm-hmm. make him feel better, but he's really bad at it. And Haley Joel Osment says, uh, you have to add some twists and stuff. And then we get the big reveal. I see <laughs> dead people. And at the end of the movie, we get some twists and stuff. And then Shyamalan like, made a quilt that said that and hung it above his bed. <laughs> and looked at it every day for the rest of his life, uh, dreading it and being happy about it. It made him a fortune and then... Cursed him in a way. Uh, I think I, w- I wonder, like, if this movie didn't have a twist, what would Shyamalan's curve be like? We, we play this game every episode. What would he be like? I don't like. I don't think the movie would have done as well if it didn't have a twist. And I don't think he would have made. I don't. I wonder if he would because he became kind of a genre filmmaker after this. He became like I do horror, I do sci-fi, and I maybe don't see that happening so much if it didn't have this ghostly crazy twist because you can't have a crazy twist in like a, a like a pg kids thing so much like you can as much as a wide awake of like the little kids god you know but you don't have that whoa like that really only works i feel in like a mystery kind of horror setting in a way to have something that's like shocking like that and so i wonder like what i feel like this movie would have definitely still no matter what made him a big hollywood player because he already was able to get Bruce Willis and like this movie uh, was really hyped up. Like I remember seeing the the trailers for it a lot before it came out. So no matter what people would have seen the movie, whether there was a twist or not right out, right, right, right out the gate. But I, I wonder if he would have made more like kid stuff or like what it would have been if it didn't have this, if it wasn't as huge as it was. It's you know? interesting you say that. Cause one thing I've noticed is that like kids are like a big part of uh, almost all of his films. There's mm-hmm. like a child that's either the main character or important to the plot and story, and yeah. isn't just like a precocious, cute yeah. kid character. Is that a Spielberg thing? I don't know. I think I that's think... a Spiel. I think that's just him loving Spielberg, because that's such a Spielberg thing, having the kids doing so. Like ET, it's a very ET yeah. Goonies, uh, like a, a come, like being a kid of the '80s, which I think he was, you know. Uh, growing up in the 80s, you just get so many movies where it's a star's kids on an adventure, kids doing stuff, kids acting like adults. And I feel that's like a very post-Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> and he loves Spielberg. He wants to be Spielberg so bad. Which is funny because everyone labeled him as the next Hitchcock after this. But you can yeah. tell, in my mind, it seems like, no, no, he wants to be – he doesn't want to be Hitchcock. He wants to be Spielberg. Yeah, and it's funny you say that. And I'm, I guess I'm going to say that a lot this episode. <laughs> when I went back and was – rewatching Spielberg films and Jaws was becoming 
one of my favorite movies I've realized. I have a poster of Jaws. I've read the book. I own the Blu-ray. I watch it all the time. When I'm watching Jaws, that film is so excellently made. It's mm-hmm. well-crafted. Oh, yeah. It has amazing cinematography. The use of the score <clears throat> is amazing. Great performances. And I was thinking, this is like if Alfred Hitchcock made a film about <laughs> a killer shark. It would it'd have all your satisfying points, the ones that you would expect to see in a killer shark movie, but it would be done differently. It wouldn't be done like a Roger Corman film. It'd be done. It'd be done the Hitchcock way. Because Hitchcock just uh, reaches into everybody, I guess. Yeah, because I think like you get the Hitchcock thing because it's like this is a well-crafted, well-thought-out movie, which is very Hitchcock. And like every shot, every cut is full of so much it's meaning. It's incredibly deliberate, you know? which is a Hitchcock, very Hitchcock thing. Yeah. And then I think it helps that Spielberg and especially Shyamalan like exist in this like genre world like horror murder like something's going on that you don't know about mystery the mystery element uh, more so Shyamalan and Spielberg Spielberg really yeah. only had that with Close this Encounters is... and Jaws but like the, like the, like Shyamalan definitely gets into that with this movie and uh, and also like Hitchcock his early films aren't as good <laughs> they they are not <laughs> Hitchcock films also real clumsy and not so good <laughs> Uh, yeah, The Sixth Sense is an elevated genre film. This is a horror film, but it's not like a film that came out after this. One of the many imitators, uh, A Stir of Echoes oh, yeah. with Kevin Bacon, where he can also see ghosts and spooky shit is happening. And it turns out that uh, like his neighbor or someone... Dead body. Yeah, killed someone. <laughs> so he has to dig up the body and prove that they were murdered. And White noise is another good post six cents yeah. uh, thing, and it's uh, not. I I saw that on a bus on a school trip, the stir of echoes, and someone said like, "Oh, it's like six cents, but taken up a notch." I'm like, <laughs> no, not really. Like taken down several notches. What year did the original Japanese ring come out? Uh, that may have been ninety eight. Because that also, like, I feel like that and this were kind of the two movies that, like, were like really like the whoa horror movies. Like, this is like a thing, and like those movies are similar in a way in that they have that kind of like spooky kid thing going on, and like they have this kind of somber quality to it. Too. They both uh, and, they uh, both continue on after you think the movie should yeah, have ended. Keeps going, and I guess it's all pre Saw, right? Because Saw was Saw was two thousand four. So it was the more post nine eleven, you know, like torture people. Movie. Yeah, post nine eleven, uh, <laughs> uh, post uh, David Fincher. Oh, but this, this don't get me started on Saw. <laughs> but this is good because it's the it's like it's go- making ghosts a thing again. Like and, and ghosts, you know, are, you know, for a while weren't in vogue, and then I think this made ghosts in vogue again. Yeah, um, where it's like, oh, let's make movies a ghost again. It doesn't have to be bloody. It doesn't have to be and and, and PG thirteen horror horror. That you can see at a younger age, like it is not a yeah, hard. It is a, a good PG thirteen horror film, and there are some people that tell you that you can't have a good horror film that's PG thirteen, which is absurd. Point <laughs> to the Sixth Sense and every film made before nineteen sixty. The Haunting, like yeah. that movie's still scary. Yeah. So the Sixth Sense is depending on how you want to classify horror films, one of. I think five horror films nominated for Best Picture. Is that true? I don't know why. Of Exorcist, The Exorcist, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs, the only technical horror film, if however, if you, that's how you want to categorize it, to win Best Picture. Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Sixth Sense 
Black Swan. Black Swan. Jaws. And, yeah, and Jaws. Is Black Swan a, a, a horror movie? It can be. I've like, never seen it, so I have no idea. I don't know that I would call it a horror Is film. Is it just psychological? It's like a psychological well, I guess so horror Silence of the Lambs, but people get murdered and skinned and turned into lambs. Yeah, like Silence of the Lambs is a detective story. It's, it's not even really a mystery. You know who's killing these people. It's been a while since a horror movie has been nominated for lots of Oscars. What, what, was, what was the last big, like, this movie's scary, we all love it, and we'll, and it's really well made, and it we'll, should win awards. Uh, we'll it's award. like, you know, yeah. if, if you count Black Swan, it's that. If not, then I think it's like Sixth Sense. Really? So it's been yeah. like, it just hasn't been a thing. Yeah, horror so this, <laughs> far less respected than comedy. Eli Roth not nominated for a single Oscar, <laughs> and the award goes to Elijah Ross. So watching this movie, I like was really I had to stop myself because like for the first half, I was really like looking. I was just I wasn't enjoying it. I was just looking for him to slip up and like where's the hole? Where's the point? Where's like aha? You messed up. He's not like this part. You didn't do well. You didn't know he was a ghost here. Ah, I got it. But I never found it. Like it really is like well thought out. Like like uh, you know like it's really well done. Because usually when there's a twist, you can poke holes in it. There's something like in yeah. There's always a a plot hole, and not that that makes it bad. It, but for this one, it's like you can always have the answer of well, well, he's a ghost. Because like I'm watching it thinking, well, wouldn't he know he's a ghost? Because like, does he really think he's that boring that nobody's actually talking? <laughs> <laughs> like. Is he really that hard on himself that like every every conversation? But they say that they like you only see what they want to see, and they're like, "Well, when he realize he's wearing the same clothes, when he realize he's not eating anything, that he hasn't had to pay a bill in a while, like you know, like you once you start thinking about that, then you go crazy. But if it's just sort of like the ghosts come and go, like for all we know, he just vanishes and comes back because like that's kind of how the other ghosts work. Uh, that uh, that uh, Cole sees is like you know, the kid will just show up. Or the mom will just show up in the hallway or in the kitchen where there's the wrist slashed and being upset, and then they're just kind of gone. So I'm assuming he just kind of gets stored away somewhere in the air and then drops back, you know, to live these kind of cycles over and over again. I feel like and it's, it's like, uh, like, it, like I don't think he like goes to bed. I don't, I'm not. I don't think he's a ghost the entire. I don't think he's present the entire time. Just like there's a gap of he doesn't remember dying. And appearing, who knows how many? Maybe it's not until we see him on the bench. Yeah, next fall. I feel like it's uh, uh, like in an Inception when DiCaprio was explaining to Ellen Page how dreams work, and he's saying like, "We're in a dream now." And she's like, "No, we're not." He's like, yeah. "Do you remember how you got here?" Yeah, you never remember how dreams began. Yeah, or like when you so fall like, asleep in general, and you yeah, wake up four hours later, and you don't remember how long you've been asleep, and it feels like twenty minutes. You look at the clock; it's been four hours. Like that's probably what. Bruce Willis is is going yeah. through. So you really can't poke holes in it in that way. No, and watching yeah. the special features, like he talks, Shyamalan talks about how like you know like planned out, like he's not gonna you know touch anything or yeah. interact with anyone. Uh, the color red will be present in every scene where the spirit world and the real world uh, intermingle. And that was one I was like, I'm gonna. There has to. He has to slip up here. <laughs> but no, in every shot, and in not too subtle ways sometimes, and in some ways, it's yeah. some ways it is subtle. Like uh, his wife goes to get uh, Zoloft, and the pills are red. Yeah. Or in a scene where they're just Bruce Willis and the kid are just walking down the street, a bunch of uh, schoolboys pass kids, by yeah, and they have red caps. Fine. 
Uh, which is why we're drinking Johnny Walker Red tonight, <laughs> by the way. So the holes that I'm trying, the, the things that I have questions about have nothing to do with the ghost. And maybe you've thought about this, and maybe you can tell me. Why are the only photos that the mom has of Cole are of him being really sad with a lot of extra space <laughs> around them? It's almost like she framed for the ghost. Like there's the one where he's on the park bench. And then there's this big empty space to have that glint because she noticed that there's a part where she's looking at his photos and notices there's this little glint of light and everything being like, that must be a ghost. But it's like, but you framed it for a ghost. Like, you, their family's here. No one takes a picture. And then there's all this empty space. She could be there. She could be trying to set up, like, those uh, Liberty insurance commercials where the people are off-center. So that really was weird. Me. And then just how sad he looks in every picture. It's just like, man, like, this kid looks like you can't even force a spot from him, even in a photograph. So that was weird. And then maybe you, maybe you know, like I, I thought about this every time I've watched this. Why the part? So when he helps the girl out who's been poisoned by her mom, why is the girl videotaping her? She's videotaping like a puppet show. Yeah. And then so the whole the if you haven't seen the while, so like Haley Joel Osment finds this tape in this girl's room, gives it to the dad at the funeral of his daughter. Yeah, they just slip he, into the funeral because uh, there's so many people there. <laughs> And the dad watches the tape, and it's a girl doing a puppet show, like, I'm going to puppet show tape, and dad's like, oh, that's cute. And then the mom starts to come in, and the girl, like, runs to her bed real quick, leaving the tape going, and then the mom, like, pours what looks like Drano or something, I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. like, into the soup, and then makes it so the kid is just sick all the time, which eventually led to the kid's death. Munchausen which is also Roxy. happening to her sister, which is sort of like why yeah. she's trying to save her sister. Because at the funeral, like, oh, the daughter's sick too. That scene, I thought, that's another, like, well-made, well shot planned out scene because i don't know if it's all in one take or not and that doesn't matter but there's like uh the camera moves around the house where this wake is happening and you get every piece of information you need yeah in in a very tight way it's like, good oh like can you believe like she was in bed for two years yeah and like oh like, and now like the little one she's getting sick too and it seems like when you think about it and talk about it, it seems like, oh, this must be a very heavily, poorly written just like exposition scene. But it's done so well that you don't think about it when you're watching it. You just think like you're just eavesdropping on moments of conversation at the funeral. And it's not until the scene is done that you realize how important all that information was. That yeah. You've heard what, you you, you needed that scene doesn't <clears throat> work without all of that exposition. <laughs> yeah. And it's delivered crafted, very <laughs> well crafted, so well. All right. So back to the point I'm confused about. So the mom's. The, the, uh, so, like, are we? We're not to assume that the daughter knew she was being poisoned. And she was trying to catch her mom on tape, right? She was just filming a puppet show, and it, then got it on tape. I feel, but like, then put the tape like in this special box. See, that's like, just why, that, like, that part confusing because if she knew she was being poisoned, why would she eat the soup then? If she has it on tape, if she's like, I filmed my mom poisoning me. Then why would she keep eating the poison? Kids, uh, you know, they're very small (laughs) and they don't have control over their own lives. And her mom is telling her to do this thing, to eat this food. And it's probably the only food that she gets. So do you think the kid was intentionally trying to catch the mom or was she just filming a puppet show and just like... I'm not sure. I feel like... To get it it up. It is an accident. One day when, when, when we interview Shyamalan, we can ask him. <laughs> but I feel like the film meant it just like she left the camera running by accident. But she but runs I away. feel like, like the girl knew she was being poisoned. And after she gets the soup, she tells her mom, I feel better. Like, stop giving this to me. 
But why would you keep eating it? If I had, if I thought, if I had an inkling of like, I think my parents are poisoning me. Like I wouldn't eat food I didn't like, you know. <laughs> so I wouldn't eat food that I didn't like. And was because she's like, oh, it tastes bad. The mom was like, I oh, know it doesn't taste good. Keep eating it. So it doesn't even taste good. It's not like oh, this poison's delicious. It's not like antifreeze to a dog. So she's just like eating poison, knowing that it's poisoned, having tape evidence of it dies. And then who rewinds the tape? Her ghost? Did Haley Josman have a moment to po- rewind it and put it back in the box? Do you think the dad rewound it? Maybe the dad rewound <laughs> it. Or maybe <laughs> she rewound it before she put it in the box. Yeah. Like, maybe she wasn't sure. She's like, I think my mom huh. might be poisoning me. And uh, so here's the evidence. Like, if I die mysteriously, watch this. And then the last question I had about the movie is why... So I get that he sees dead people, that Cole sees dead people. And there's that scene in the classroom where the teacher's like, what was this school before, you know, like it was a school. And and he raises his hand and says, it was the hung people here. And the teacher's like, no, no, you didn't. And there's clearly like some ghost there telling him like the hung people. And he's like kind of having a thing. But then he doesn't like that the teacher's looking at him. So how does the ghost know the nickname of the teacher that he was studying? Because he starts calling the teacher stuttering, stuttering Stanley. And the teacher starts stuttering and being like, how would you know? Oh, how? like, you know, like, because clearly this is what he was teased about when he was at school. So we assume that there's a ghost that knew about the hanging from then, but then was still hanging around. And the teacher was the student there. And that ghost saw that they used to call him stuttering Stanley. And then also it's the only part where, where like, why why would then Haley Jaws would be so mean to that teacher and start calling him that name? Like, there's no other point of that movie where he is that mean <laughs> to anybody. There isn't, but I feel like in that scene... Why would he be so upset that he would be like, I'm going to really hurt this teacher's feelings because I think he's looking at me and thinks, he, thinks I'm a freak, so therefore I'm going to really remind this guy of like the worst moment of his life. Because there, there's a scene... Because <laughs> that, part, that part is really... That movie, that part is really upsetting to me. That part seems really mean. The teacher calls him a like, freak. Like, it's really... He calls That's him a freak, so it's like it's really emotional. But he calls him a freak after he's been taunted for his old yeah. stuttering, and it was like the first time in years, I'm guessing... That he remembered that happening, like he probably already worked out his feelings about that part of his life, and then his kid starts like, yelling at him and yelling at him. That part, yeah, that part is really intense. I, I have no clear answer for that. It could be that there was a ghost there the whole time, a ghost there the whole time. Yeah, that knew that the guy was stuttering, Stan, uh, stuttering Stanley, or it, it could be that uh, Cole's abilities give him some kind of like i don't know some kind of like mind reading mm-hmm. powers or uh <laughs> <laughs> or like he can just see like people's pasts that could be part of his huh. powers yeah. but that's just yeah. me that's just me riffing but i feel like there's another scene and i can't remember if it's actually in the movie or if it's a deleted scene where bruce willis starts looking at cole like he's like he's weird mm-hmm. and Cole says like stop looking at me I don't like when people look at me like that and Bruce Willis stops like he doesn't look at Cole that I don't way. remember that I think that's that probably a deleted, deleted scene, scene then so and then so that might be why because his teacher like doesn't let up that like maybe you know maybe uh th- this was a courthouse where people were sentenced to death mm-hmm. maybe this is where people were hung yeah and maybe we can just leave the matter alone but now that like the teacher's <laughs> wants to be very adamant <laughs> and when I, I i remembered that at that scene in the movie like cole like looks away and sees like people hanging mm-hmm. 
but that happens later. Like he's later, he's, hanging it's when later. He's at a, like a because play. The, yeah, this is in the yeah. film. This is in the part of the film where it's just uh, a movie about a troubled kid. Yeah. So it's just a weird, intense exchange between a kid and their teacher, and the cinematography gets very stylized. Like when he calls, finally calls the kid a freak. And slams his hand down yeah. on the desk. There's this extreme canted angle yeah, yeah. that makes it like very intimidating. Yeah. So it'll be interesting going forward watching Shyamalan stuff because I feel like he gets locked in this twist thing. He does for a long time. Yes. <laughs> People just kind of want want it from him and expect it from him. And so it'll be interesting to see sort of like the the later successful twists and then when he gets out of it. And then gets back to it <laughs> again because he, because he gets pulled uh, back. Yeah, and, uh, again, the twists one, become less substantial. They become less impactful yeah. and more like just stuff added on to make it seem cool. But we'll save that for those movies. I don't think it needs, it needs to be said, but clearly, I'm assuming you feel the same. This is the best movie we've seen so far. Yes, most definitely. In the, I in the, in the podcast, I think like the hands down number one. Then I have Praying with Anger, number two, then Wide Awake, number three. That's I, the order I go Last on. time, I put uh, Wide Awake above Praying with Anger, and since then, I, I would like to switch those okay. and put Six Sense, uh, then Praying with Anger, and then Wide Awake, okay. because uh, Praying with Anger was like an original story. Mm-hmm. The, this kid was trying to really show off what he could. Like It had ambitions that it didn't quite meet in every scene and wide awake is a very straightforward very conventional very predictable film that succeeds at what it's trying to be which is nothing more than just like an average feel-good family movie that a child could watch with like their grandparents Mm -hmm. going from that to the sixth sense this like taut intense satisfying scary thriller horror film is very impressive to me. Yeah, he uh, he got a lot better. <laughs> he got a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Speaking speaking of him wanting to be like Spielberg, this is, film was produced by Frank Kennedy, no Frank Marshall Frank and Marshall. Kathleen Ken- Kennedy, yeah. which are Spielberg's people. There Those are Spielberg's producers. Yeah. Um. And so next month we'll see if it's the be- best movie yet. We'll be watching a Stuart Little. Yes. Which uh, he wrote the script for. Before this, like he was hired to write the script before he even made the success. Yes, because Harvey Weinstein had Shyamalan under contract as director, but not as a writer. So he could still write films for other studios, Yeah, which is how Stuart Little happened. It's also how The Sixth Sense got started rolling. So he could sell this script to someone other than Harvey Weinstein and probably Bob Weinstein as well. Uh, but he added he added the caveat that, well, then they had to hire him as director <laughs> and get him out of this contract with Merrimax. Which he did. Yeah. Which he did. Yeah. He did. Good for him. It uh, really, like, yeah, Harvey Weinstein, he's the villain of a lot of Hollywood stories. (laughs) He's the hero of a lot of Hollywood stories. Like, Goodwill Hunting doesn't happen without Harvey Weinstein. Kevin Smith's career doesn't happen, which Tarantino Tarantino career doesn't happen. The indie film movement of the early 90s. I believe Troy Duffy was the Weinstein. (laughs) We can thank him for Troy Duffy. Oh, Troy Duffy. <laughs> Let's do a Troy Duffy podcast. That would be two just movies, two movies. Two incredibly great motion pictures. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we can do that. 
that'll be, be a side project. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll be our uh, yeah that'll be our little side project. But yeah, but once um, Shyamalan <laughs> uh, started, it was Disney, the big Disney, and then uh, like one of their subsidiaries, I think Hollywood Studios. Their logo was the Sphinx. Yeah. You guys remember that logo from the 90s. Once he got with them, that he really flourished. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, when I saw The Sixth Sense, I was looking forward to the next thing that this Shyamalan guy did. And I never had trouble pronouncing his name like (laughs) other people pretend to because it's it's hard to spell. It's not hard to pronounce. Yeah. Let's get that out of the way with. We'll just call him Knight. That's what everybody calls him on the making yeah. of. There's like Knight. And then Knight was like this. And I was like, hey, Knight. Oh, God. On that making <laughs> of, like, so I love James Newton Howard. I love his music. But that guy seems seems kind of weird. Like, his <laughs> theories about what the sixth sense is about. Like, it's a religious experience. Yeah. Like, I don't get that, but you made good music thinking that. So, <laughs> whatever you got to do, dude. Yeah. Okay. Well. Are we are we done here? Is are that we, we have, sense? have we talked a, a lot about it? And uh, we're ready yeah. for some Stuart Little. And uh, I'm ready for Stuart Little. I've never seen it. I didn't think I didn't. I never thought I'd ever watch that movie. Uh, me neither. I that was 1999. I was like 14, 15. So yeah. I was very consciously done with kids' movies. <laughs> I was on the watching 2001 yeah. Yeah. and telling all my friends like how good. 2001 was especially the very the very slow birth of man sequence <laughs> so you were you were beneath, you were above Stuart little uh, yeah you're beyond it so now we'll, we'll backtrack and we'll revisit this movie it's it, great it will be an, it will be an interesting stepping stone <laughs> from this to Stuart little to unbreakable to unbreakable uh yeah okay well, thanks for listening to the podcast. Yes, thanks. Uh, thanks as always for listening. Uh, those of you that stuck with us through all of our tangents and stuttering <laughs> and our impressions of uh, of airplane pilots. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, uh, we have. You can contact us by email vmnightshift at gmail.com or on twitter we're at vmnightshift and uh we will probably respond to you we'll respond to that one guy yeah whoever that one guy is that one guy is the one guy Shyamalan <laughs> we'll we will respond he doesn't to care what we're doing no. he's busy making his dreams his, his intern doesn't know who we are <laughs> his interns you know dog sitter doesn't know who we are <laughs> but uh, yes uh Thanks for listening, and if you're in Austin, come by Vulcan Video. Check out the screenings we have at Indian Roller in town. They're fun and exciting. We show some pretty cool movies there. And be sure to tune in next month for Stuart Little. Yeah. Bye. Shyamalan twist.